Welcome to the Real Python Podcast. This is episode 78. Are you a visual learner? Does it help to have programming concepts shared with concrete examples and images? Would you like to see if your child might be interested in programming? This week on the show, we talk with author Sherry Eskinas about her books, A Day in Code Python, Learn to Code in Python Through an Illustrated Story, and Learn Python Through Nursery Rhymes and Fairy Tales. We talk about the books and what inspired her to bring programming to picture books. Sherry discusses her goal of providing a fun way for beginners to experience learning to code. Sherry is also an electrical engineer with multiple patents and the founder of Sunday Electronics. We talk briefly about Soundbreak, which is an audio device that alerts headphone users to outside sounds. Sherry's programming background is primarily in C, and we cover her path to Python. We also discuss how she's using Python and the Raspberry Pi to prototype new projects. This podcast episode is brought to you by Datastax Astra DB, built on Apache Cassandra, now made easy in the cloud. Get 40 gigabytes of storage free every month at astra.dev slash Python. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Sherry. Hey, Christopher. And welcome to the show. It, it's been fun kind of going back and forth and talking to you and, and learning about the projects you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, so I guess maybe we should start right there and talk about you as an author. Oh. <laughs> you started with a, a, a couple books and they're geared towards children. And maybe we could just start with the first one and then we can kind of dive into the ones that are a little more Python specific. Yeah, sure. So my first Python book is called Day in Code Python because it tells the story of a fun day using Python code and it teaches Python basics in the process. And it actually follows from my first book, in case you're wondering, which is called A Day in Code, which is in the C language. So this Python book is a picture book that uses Python programs to describe situations in a story about two kids seizing the day. So each Python program acts as a code example, which is explained on the same page. And there's a full page illustration next to it that shows the scene that's being described in code. So for example, there's a program where the kids are flying kites and each kite is represented with a Python dictionary that specifies its shape and color. And there's a list of all the kites that are available from a rental booth. And then after the kids rent their balloons, the kites they chose are removed from the list and you see the kites they chose in the illustration. And so it visually shows the event that the code is describing. And so it's not just a collection of random code examples that describe everyday things, but it's a story because it's a continuous progression of their day with them sleeping, waking up, having an extravagant breakfast, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> going to the beach, having a, a great pizza lunch. You know, what a perfect day. So I wanted it to be like really colorful and have the feel of a picture book. And the code itself is also colorful with syntax highlighting, which like makes the code explanation below it uh, easier to read. Yeah. Yeah. That really pops out to me. I, I noticed that. And I really like the illustrations. You got a, a good partnership going on with that illustrator. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah. I say that I have no artistic ability. Like I'm at the level of, I can't draw stick figures, but (laughs) I have like artistic visions and I work with a really talented artist who takes my rough sketches and ideas and brings them to life. Yeah. No, they're great. Yeah. Thank you. So it's like, I'll say in in this drawing, show an open donut box on their towel on the beach and two seagulls flying in the air with donuts in their mouths and show the kids building a sandcastle, not noticing. And so I'll communicate that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just my favorite scene. Right? Yeah, no, that's cool. <laughs> Thanks. And so like, I'll communicate that to the artist. Besides using words, I'll use like stock photos or illustration examples to show what I have in mind in terms of like the rough appearance and positions of things in the drawings. And yes, there's actually a lot of back and forth and revisions. And so there's a lot of effort that goes into each of the uh, detailed drawings in the book. Yeah. And so... Yeah, and it's pretty comprehensive in the beginner Python concepts that it covers. It packs it all in there into these uh, programs. And so it's everything from the very basics with like variables and operators to conditional statements and loops to functions and classes. And I noticed that some beginner books, particularly for kids, don't even cover the topic of classes. And so I wanted to include that. Yeah, what, why, why did you want to co- include that in this case? Um, well, like besides seeing that it wasn't mentioned in a bunch of beginner books that I looked at, I thought it was important for Python because, I mean, I saw classes being used even for like the Raspberry Pi, for example, yeah, which is geared towards kids and students and hobbyists. And so, yeah, I thought it was important for that to be familiar. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with you. The, the idea that the, you know, the language is so, you know, everything is an object in the language and speaking about the Raspberry Pi and electronics side, you know, I was just talking to Scott Shawcroft about CircuitPython and, and that that's like a, such a common thing. Like you're you're bringing in literally these you know objects. Like okay, this there's this thing that is the you know touch sensor, <laughs> you know, and like being able to like address it in kind of a different way, and that it has its own methods and things. Those are crucial, like sort of fundamental concepts that people could need to maybe get introduced early. Yeah, definitely. And the program that introduces classes actually involves like a futuristic salad bar concept. And it's about modeling, creating a salad with a class. And so like, as the illustration shows, it's this touchless salad bar in which you select an ingredient you want, presumably with a proximity sensor detecting your hand. (laughs) And the, the, yeah, I just randomly came up with this, like the, the ingredient, let's say tomatoes flows down the chute into your salad bowl. And there's a row of labeled chutes for the different ingredients and it's all you can eat salad bar. And so like, I'm not sure if I'm the first to have thought of that, but I'm throwing the idea out there for someone else to implement. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. The limitless salad bar restaurant, because yeah, although that would be fun to do, but yeah, it would take a lot of time and funding. So that's my my uh, free idea. I'm just getting out there. Yeah, I'm gonna toss it out there. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See if that uh, becomes reality. Yeah, there used to be all these great like salad bar sort of concept restaurants, and they kind of have. I haven't, I haven't seen them as much. I don't know if Sweet Tomatoes is still even around. Oh my gosh, actually, like, so I know, like, yeah, the story of the, the Sweet Tomatoes, apparently, yeah, I, I hadn't heard of that name because apparently, yeah, in California, it was, past tense, known as Sweet Plantation, so. Oh, yeah, okay. In, yeah, yeah, in other states, it's like Red Tomato, and, and yeah, or Sweet Tomato, <laughs> okay. And, like, the pandemic started, they just, like, went out, like, immediately, basically, so uh, they yeah. should, maybe they can do this now. Yeah, there you go. This yeah. is like yeah, touchless and just set it all up. I, I think of the robot, you know, this is a more adult thing, but the robot bar in Vegas I I saw where you could basically punch in the drink and the robots all unfortunately are replacing jobs that bartenders would have, but it seemed like such a interesting <laughs> idea. So Oh yeah. 
Like, so you always yeah. need people for the maintenance, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and running things and, <laughs> yeah. and the design and everything. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Besides the classes area, what were some of the other concepts in Python that you were excited to cover in the book? Well, a big part of it is conditional statements and loops because, like, that is like describing describing things logically. It often just comes down to an if else statement or if elif elif, and so a lot of the programs involve yeah conditional statements. Like also like while I, I think I covered like practically like all the major. Well, I think I, I can safely say I've covered all the major beginner topics. So yeah, it's just describing the logic of an event with the code. I, I also included class, one program that has class inheritance where they're eating dessert and the cake that they're eating is a child class of the dessert parent class. So that's kind of like the most advanced concept I think that I have in there. So it kind of, it starts off really at, from the very beginning being just a program with three lines that like stores value in a variable and prints text to the screen. And then I have a for loop after that, but I, I describe all the different parts of it below the program. So the programs do build up in complexity and they're, they're all explained below each program. And so you don't need any prior knowledge um, as you're reading the book. Yeah. Did you find, I'm, I'm guessing there are a lot of shared initial concepts because they're both sort of beginner books, but were there things that you thought worked better in this format with the Python book compared to the code book or, or were they really similar? Are you talking about the, a day in code Python versus a day in code? Yeah. So actually they're very similar. What's funny is I, so like I'm a, my background is actually in a C programming being in electrical engineering. Um, and so I, that's why I naturally started off with C programming. Everyone was asking me, why do you choose C? Like, that's so weird. And so Python just seems like the seemed like the next obvious choice because it's so popular. It's everywhere. And so with the first book, I just thought of of describing a day, because it's yeah, a day in code, so it's describing a day. And so it just contains these programs that describe these fun events that they have in the day. And I so I thought of creating the Python version that would be like the same, like using the same events at first. I thought it would be very similar. But then after seeing how Python had these data structures for data like the dictionary and list and tuple and I realized and so I realized that this that I could actually create some very different programs from the C programs rather than just translating from C to Python. Yeah. I could create some very different programs based on the like the data structures that Python has that C does not have that made the programs that it really fit with describing real life situation with code using the Python data structures. That's interesting. Yeah, because like that's definitely one of the things that I've liked about Python in general is that it it's very readable. You know, mainly using white space for sort of structural constraints. Yeah, and and so you can kind of read through the paragraphs. How has the reception been? I'm not sure how long it's been out now. It was actually well. So I delivered to Kickstarter backers um, a few months ago, and then it actually became publicly available through Amazon, other online retailers. Actually. Uh, just last at the end of last month on July 27th. And so I have gotten good feedback from people saying that particularly Kickstarter backers sending me messages and telling me that it has been like useful for their kids. And that, and actually I got also gotten a lot of people who are adults telling me that the books help them learn to code and describe things in a simple, easy to understand way. And so that's why I said the book is for all ages, despite being geared towards kids as a picture book. I think anyone can have fun learning to, learning the basics, starting off with a, with this book. 
Yeah, cool. Like I, yeah. <laughs> you know, I know there's a lot of adults who like to 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 read, you know, all different levels of of uh, <laughs> books, yeah. and um, yeah. I, I definitely think being someone who isn't from a CS background, I think this is a really great and novel approach. And I also like that all of these stories and the programs that are being walked through have not fictitious names of things. They're actual things and, and actual activities. And it's something I've been harping on. <laughs> Probably people are uh, noticed that that's a trend for me on the podcast is like, I'm not a big fan of foo and bar and variables named X and, and things like that. Like, yeah. I think that that this book is a really great example of that and how that becomes way more tangible, not, not only for a kid, but for just, you know, early, you know, people learning something. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a unique method. I, I don't like I know there's there's other books that have some programming examples involving like cake or something, but this is the first book that is actually con- continuous as a story from morning till night, connecting one image, one page to the next, just like for a normal picture book where you like they're eat, if they have an open donut box and on one page and there's you see seagulls eating the donuts, but then on the next page you see that there's there were two donuts left over and they're because you see the two donuts on the next in the next illustration. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's continuous. Yeah. And the code like is all, you know, runnable code. It's all run. Oh yeah. So that's another thing where it's like interactive. So you can run each program on your computer and it, every program outputs text to the screen with one or more print statements and so that's why I encourage people to who are reading the book to uh, run the code and also modify the code and see how the output changes. In general the the reception has been really positive from kids yeah uh, people are yeah telling me that it's like their kid loves the book and it's really unique idea yeah it's awesome this podcast is sponsored by data stacks astra db astra db is built on apache cassandra and is now made easy in the cloud create a free cassandra database in minutes for global scale on a startup budget with 40 gigabytes of storage free every month. Visit us at astra.dev slash Python. That's A-S-T-R-A dot D-E-V slash Python. So <laughs> I had this question and it kind of got answered um, very early on here in our uh, discussion. But, you know, I had asked like, what, what are the types of books you'd like to write in the future? But you've already got one. I don't know if it's complete or not, but you, you've already got a Kickstarter for your next book, right? Oh yeah. So it's what's funny. It's it's called yeah. It takes everything. I say it, it takes us to the next level. This is next level. Um, learn, learn Python through nursery rhymes and fairy tales. So what's funny is like my last book. It's just that kind of coincidence. I don't know how why. Like my last book, it kind of had a castles and dragons theme, a, a day in code Python. Yeah. You know, don't be fooled by the beach scene on that on the cover because like it starts off with once upon a time. And like their computers are telling them stories with castles and dragons. You can see castles and dragons on their computer screens. And then as the story goes, they, they have a, an adventurous day and they want to tell the story to their computers. And so that's the context for the programs in A Day in Code Python. That the, those are programs that the kids wrote to be able to tell the story of their day to their computers. And in the day, the, the day that they describe, there's allusions to the castles and dragons theme. So like they there's someone flying a dragon kite 
they win dragons at a carnival. They're jumping in a bouncy castle. Yeah. And there's a castle in the background while they're playing mini golf. So, <laughs> so that you think that could, that would kind of make you think about fairy tales. And even though that might have like subconsciously influenced me for some reason, I just, I swear, like I just randomly thought of this idea of walking outside one day. So I wrote out the code for this concept for learn Python through nursery rhymes and fairy tales. So it translates classic nursery rhymes and fairy tales into Python programs. And it's currently on Kickstarter for pre-order. And so what it does is break down the classic tales logically and describe them with code. So it's a similar concept to my last book, but of course you're already very familiar with these stories and the programs output the text of the nursery rhyme or fairy tale, which is embedded in the, the logic of the program. So for example, on Kickstarter, it shows the last page of sample code page of Goldilocks and the three bears when she's trying to or she's trying out each bed. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. The program consists of if-else statements that test if the bed is too soft or too hard, and it prints either that the particular bed is too hard or too soft or just right. And it also includes the sleep, uh, sleep function that creates a delay and represents Goldilocks sleeping. And so that was just too good, and I had to include the sleep function there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was I was going to ask you like what what would be your favorite story to portray in there, but that is a is a perfect one for for those sort of conditional things. It's funny. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Um, I, yeah, I was actually surprised at how there's actually a lot of other like I don't want to give away the book beforehand. Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> like I have two sample pages, but yeah, actually, I was surprised at how a lot of these nursery rhymes fairy tales actually fit very well and elegantly into being described with the Python code, and so like the other sample page I have is showing the nursery rhyme, the muffin man in it. So it uses the muffin man's name and address in a Python dictionary to print out the exact words of the muffin man. And so, yeah, that's a, I, I like that nursery rhyme. Yeah. Cool. And yeah. Yeah. So that this, that one sounds like a lot of fun and definitely a nice follow-up for the other one that I think that's a good fit. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, so this book will also just like the last book, it will like comprehensively cover all the major beginner Python topics but there's a few minor concepts that I didn't include in my last book, like this, like for example, the ternary operator. And I plan to include that in this fairy tale book. And so, but I'm not going to include class inheritance in the fairy tale book like I did in a day encode Python. It'll still include classes though. And another thing is a day encode Python uses the random module in a few programs, but in this fairy tale book, I'm not using it because nothing is random. The stories are already set in stone. And so <laughs> I think the, the two books will complement each other. Yeah. Although they'll, they'll still both cover all the major beginner topics, there'll be a few different extra topics in each one. So, yeah, I, I think it'll also be useful just to see code being combined and used in different ways. What were some challenges in trying to write for this? sort of target audience? I know that there's a, a larger potential audience, but like for writing for kids, what was like something that was challenging about conveying it in this format? I, I think the, what I had to be conscious about is about the terminology that I used in describing because and, and describing how the code worked because that's really where the, the educational part is about how does the program work. And so it describes how the different aspects of the program work and defines the Python constructs. And so I wanted it to be like I want it to be useful, but not too technical and like too like too te overly technical with terminology that kids might not understand. And so yeah, I really pay attention to writing it in a way that is understandable for someone who doesn't have experience with programming. Yeah, I, I think about that all the time as I'm 
translating these articles and, and so forth on real Python into a video format and that changing that barrier, you know, like thinking about a slightly different audience, you know, someone who enjoys uh, video content or audio content in the case of the podcast, like how, you know, do I need to think about <laughs> translating this? And so yeah. I think there's like a couple things happening there with, with, you know, turning it into a, a picture book and into a story for this different audience. So that's cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I don't want the, the picture book to scare people away either who are like older students or right. adults too. It just, it just makes it fun, right? Exactly. I mean, I, I think it's neat for you know anybody who's like interested in, in learning Python and and this is definitely a novel way for them to to check it out. Yeah, thank you. To talk a little bit about your electronics background, you are an electrical engineer and yeah, you started a, a company and maybe we could talk about that a little bit. The company name is Sunday Electronics, which is a fun name also. <laughs> where did where did that come from? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was that was the intention. Yeah, so su- it's Sunday as an ice cream Sunday. And so it's kind of weird how I mean, how did I think of that? Um at first I was actually thinking of banana split. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just while I was having banana split and I was like I want to start a company. It's that simple. Okay. But then it was like <laughs> that's too long of a name or something like and so Sunday is just one word and I think it, it represents something that is fun and like unique and innovative because um, a Sunday can be like constructed in different ways and yeah, can, can, it's creative. You can kind of take ownership of it in your own creativity. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a very, it's creating a Sunday is a creative, creative endeavor. Um, but yeah, it's nothing to do with food or ice cream. Um, I, it's just a, a symbol. And so I just, I had the idea for a lot of useful, I say useful and fun consumer electronics products. I have like, what I call it, the list. I just have this list of things that I really want to pursue. And so I decided to start with, there's a particular product that I decided to start off with because I was having the issue of listening to headphones and feeling paranoid about like not hearing something in my surroundings. And I realized there's like no good solution out there right now because like there's, it's a very common feature in headphones for to have an ambient sound mode that's constantly letting in outside sound. There's an open like, you don't have your headphone on completely or like bone conduction headphones, but there's nothing that allows you to be totally immersed in your headphones or like listening at a higher volume and being selectively alerted to an outside sound instantly. And so I thought of this idea called, which I call sound break. And so it's a patented device that alerts you to outside sounds while you're immersed in your headphones. So you're not oblivious to your surroundings. And the way it works is it instantly streams outside sound into your headphones only when they're louder than your ambient noise level. So you can be aware of important events like someone trying to get your attention, a, a door knock announcement or a car honk or like some emergency situation or something because the world is unpredictable. And <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. And you usually want to be aware of something that's louder than your ambient sound level and being a hardware solution. It is like instantaneous to have the sound streamed into your headphones with no delay. And so I designed the the circuitry for it. I wrote the firmware, the component selection, created prototypes, and I actually launched two Kickstarter campaigns for this a few years ago. Actually, two different beta products. The first one actually just cut off your audio to alert you to the outside sound. Okay. And, and based on the feedback from that, people wanted it the outside sound to stream in. So that was the major functional difference with the second version where it had an amplifier that would actually stream in the outside sound to your headphones during an alert. 
so at any time, like you can adjust it to your surrounding noise level by pressing a button and it would, and it samples your ambient sound level and creates an alert level from that. So kind of just a, I wanted to create just a simple, useful device. And I, I know that I, I needed to like add Bluetooth to it and work with an industrial design firm to create a product ready for the market. And so that's where I'm at with that project where I need funding to be able to take that to the next level and bring it to the market. Yeah, I could think of, I'm definitely a, a wired headphone person at, at home or when I was in office. I have these big, fat, biodynamic headphones that I love um, that I can do my podcast with and other things like that. Yeah. But if I'm just sitting and listening to music like in like a cubicle setting, and you have these great little videos um, that are <laughs> that, that showcase the product that were part of the Kickstarter, I guess. Those those are really fun. Oh. And so, yeah, I I think the wired thing is great, but what the trend is now whenever I'm out in the world is to, to wear, you know, like the Bluetooth ones. And so I could see that as a bit of a challenge as a, as additional, additional product, like with that, all that kind of, you know, modifying. And I, I have tried the, like the Apple ones where you like stuck them in your ear and they let the outside sound in. And I can't wear those earbuds that long. Cause if I walk in them, I like, I hear like, like you talked about bone conduction. I, I hear like yeah. my feet walking, you know, and all sort of stuff. I just, I'm, I'm not into those at all. Like it, they don't really work for me. So yeah. I would either be using wired or some other kind of thing, or just the regular like ear pods that don't have that feature. So I'm excited to see what, what happens in the future there. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, cool. So you were talking about writing like the firmware for that. And I think you even kind of mentioned earlier in your electrical engineering that that would have all been in a, a C or some subset of C. Yeah, it's in the yeah C programming. Yeah, the language of the embedded um, were manufactured like products, you know, as opposed to hobbyists or like prototyping. Yeah, that's the kind of the thing that's happening now. That's been really fun with the, the idea of of these you know micro devices um, having. Python as a potential language for them, but you know, up till recently, it's it's always been C. Or I would think with most things dealing with um, audio, that you would probably be using C. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the most like efficient. So if you're yeah programming on the the, at the bare metal level, you program in C. But I know that there's micro Python that people are using and for microcontrollers for applications that require more like processing power like for AI. Yeah, definitely. So rather, rather than like small, uh, like low power embedded electronics. I want to shine a spotlight on another real Python video course. It covers a vital skill for anyone wanting to work with data in Python. It's titled Reading and Writing Files with Pandas. The course is based on a real Python article by Mirko Stelkovich. And in the course, Darren Jones takes you through what the Pandas IO Tools API is, how to read and write data to and from files, how to use the methods of read CSV, and how to work with various file formats, including Excel, JSON, HTML, and how to pickle. You'll also learn how to work with SQL and how to handle big data efficiently. I think it's a worthy investment of your time to learn how to move data back and forth between various file types and Pandas. Real Python video courses are broken into easily consumable sections, and where needed, include code examples for the techniques shown. All lessons have a transcript, including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes, or 
You can find it using the newly enhanced search tool, unrealpython.com. Recently, you've kind of gotten further into working with Python for other purposes. Uh, yeah, it's good for like prototyping and like quick testing of sensors. I think MicroPython is actually written in C too. So yeah, yeah. So I actually got a Raspberry Pi. I think it's a really fun way for beginners to apply Python after they've learned the basics of Python is to program on a hardware platform like Raspberry Pi, single board computer, or or a microcontroller board running MicroPython, like the Microbit or a board from SparkFun or Adafruit. Um, and like the difference being that. The Raspberry Pi's general purpose single board computer with an operating system and HDMI output, multimedia capability. Yeah. But the microcontroller on a development board, um, like has all the components of a computer on a single chip. It's lower power and intended for a specific purpose and more constrained in speed and memory. And so I think the cool thing about Raspberry Pi is that it's low cost, it has multimedia power of a computer, but also allows you to access general purpose input output or GPIO pins that allow you to interface circuitry to it. So I think it's fun to see your code interact with the physical world by sensing something in the environment with a sensor and controlling things like LEDs, motors, and speakers. And Yeah. So yeah, I actually, my particular experience with it was that I wanted to do a simple and useful thing, which was to log sensor data, which is probably a very common application. So I wanted to log data from like a remote light sensor that has an analog output. Um, I'm surprised that the Raspberry Pi doesn't have an analog to digital converter hmm. chip on the board, but I guess it's like good practice for people to learn how to interface an external chip to the board. And uh, Adafruit has a, an easy to follow guide for interfacing um, the MCP30080 C chip using the Adafruit CircuitPython libraries. Like CircuitPython is Adafruit's derivative of MicroPython. And so I got the Raspberry Pi 3 model like B plus starter kit from Canikit. And it was convenient because it comes with accessories like a, a case and heat sinks and power supply, HDMI cable. Yeah. <laughs> and like micro SD card that is preloaded with the noobs, new out-of-the-box software, um, which allows you to select an operating system uh, for the Raspberry Pi and sets it up. But I know that now it's changed a lot recently where you can now use the Raspberry Pi imager to easily install an operating system to the micro SD card. And also, like, the Raspberry Pi operating system became Raspberry Pi OS, and it used to be called Raspbian. And so it was kind of like a learning curve to figure out some details. It wasn't, like, details about the Raspberry Pi because, like, the Arduino, for example, the microcontroller board, it's, like, kind of, it's more plug-and-play. But there's a lot of tutorials online. Like, that's what's good about the Raspberry Pi. There's a lot of resources and forums online about it. Yeah. I'm having fun with mine. (laughs) I have a Raspberry Pi 3 and a 4, and then I'd recently got the, the all-in-one 400. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Is there like a particular application that you're using it for? I bought it, and then I bought the GPIO breakout cable to put it on a breadboard. And then the most recent project I've done is, a, I think I just talked about it a couple weeks ago, is a... Uh, temperature and humidity sensor project that I was working with. Um, so I was using this DHT 22 little, you know, sensor, like you were talking about and, and playing around with that and reading data and so forth. But I'm, I'm intrigued by some of the smaller raspberry Pis. Um, like I said, I have a three and a four, but I'm looking at like, like the zero and some of these other ones that you could maybe just sort of set up headless and, yeah. you know, like <laughs> let's let it run, you know? And so uh, what, so 
can you go back to that project that you were oh yeah working on the the the, the mcp the a to d converter it was a light sensor is that right yeah it's like a photo or photo diode chip that i had on a breakout board and i connected that to the adc and so once i got raspberry pi up and running i know you can do a headless like configuration of it but i guess i i was like lazy and i i just it was just more easy to connect the oh it's so much easier to have a monitor plugged in and <laughs> just go yeah just plug it into the tv and yeah. connect the <laughs> usb mouse and keyboard into it configure it and then but then of course i didn't want to work from my tv and so i found there's the easy way to do it is with using a the vnc virtual network computing server that's part of the raspberry pi so you just have to enable the vnc and the raspberry pi configuration and then you download the a free vnc viewer on your computer okay cool and use the raspberry pi's ip address and password to connect it to the raspberry pi and then you can use the vnc viewer to use the raspberry pi's desktop environment in a window on your computer so then i did not then, then i threw away my tv just kidding <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah so right <laughs> and the next step was like set up, set up the circuit with a light sensor and adc and i think you you said that you had like a gpio breakout board uh, it's definitely very useful because yeah i i got a gpio bo- uh, breakout from adafruit called, called the pi t cobbler plus i think that might be the one i have yeah okay <laughs> that's nice yeah, it's so convenient because it connects to the header on the Raspberry Pi with a ribbon cable and then plugs in the breadboard. And the convenient thing is that the pins are labeled on the PCB, so you don't have to keep on looking back at the schematic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Reference materials and get, I'm in my case, getting my reading glasses out. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I haven't tried it through a VNC. I, I will have to look at that. I, I have gone a different route with VS code and doing like an SSH kind of thing. Oh yeah. Um, sort of going in and remotely controlling it. But at that point, I'm not really in that thing's operating system. I'm like just, you know, <laughs> like uh, doing yeah. sort of a terminal thing into it. So I'll have to look at that. That sounds like a neat way to do it. Oh, yeah. There's another thing that is, a, was a, I think a good method to transfer files with, with the Raspberry Pi to your computer, because I think just intuitively, because Raspberry Pi has the uh, USB ports. It was like, oh, well, of course, I'll just plug in a flash drive and then to store the output files and transfer that to my computer. But the even easier way is to use um, an FTP file transfer protocol like WinSCP. Okay. And then just connect to the Raspberry Pi with that on your computer and you can easily transfer files back and forth between the Raspberry Pi and your computer with that. Yeah, I was thinking about that. the The project I was messing with was using a, a service and sort of application called Prometheus for sort of saving this particular kind of data back and forth. And I didn't get that far. I was headed in that direction, trying to get it going. But that was part of it. Like, okay, well, I guess I got to set up like a container or some other kind of thing running in the background that it can save to. But if you could just, you know, save the the data to like a storage place or FTP, that would be a nice solution. Yeah. What does the project do? It was a light sensor, but I'm trying to think of like what. Yeah, it was actually a simple, simple thing where I just wanted to be able to monitor the light in a in an air a specific area over a day, and so okay. I wanted to store it in a CSV file, and so there's like a CSV module, and it's you can use yeah. Adafruit has a lot of resources. They have like a Circuit Python library for the ADC, and so that was helpful in quickly prototyping it 
So I was able to get the data to uh, log into a CSV file. And then also it was cool to use the, the matplotlib library to see a real-time plot of the data. Nice. And so, yeah, that was just the simple thing I wanted to do um, to be able to log sensor data into a CSV file and have that on my computer. And so I think it'll be helpful in the future if I want to quickly test out a sensor and it's just a a quick way to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Um, Do you have other projects in in mind? Like I don't have a particular project. I know there's like a ton of example projects online. Like I'm really motivated by like with my company to create these innovative consumer electronics products. So I think it'll be helpful to be able to have a platform that has multimedia capability to easily do prototyping and testing of components. Yeah. And you can kind of then figure out the main components and functions of things. And then you can sort of sand off all the rough edges after you've kind of done that whole prototyping, I would guess. Yeah. Or just to be able to like, yeah, just test each to test the sensor outputs really easily. Yeah. Without like using UART with a microcontroller. Yeah. We were talking about that when I spoke to Scott Shawcroft about he's working on a Bluetooth BLE Bluetooth low energy boards that they're, they're creating now and their hurdle. The thing he's really trying to go for is to be able to program them by a Bluetooth tooth so you could use a phone or a tablet um kind of like we were just talking about that whole sort of like headless thing like remotely programming these little microcontrollers as opposed to you know necessarily having to plug them in via usb or in the case of the raspberry pi like you know literally it's a computer and you're you know programming it inside there and so we were talking about bluetooth and you know yes you could do kind of you know file transfer but usually everything else is maybe like key commands, like it acting like a USB, you know, interface or, you know, I'm a big MIDI guy. I'm into like music stuff. And so that's something that Bluetooth can do yeah. <laughs> pretty easily. But um, yeah, there's our limitations of, of these microcontrollers as far as like what they can sort of uh, speak <laughs> and how yeah. fast they can speak it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So when did you decide that you wanted to learn Python? So actually, what, what what first got me started with it was because I, I wrote the first day in code book in C, and then people were saying they wanted it to be in other languages, and it seemed like Python was the best uh, next language to write the book for. And so I that, that's actually what got me to do like a crash course and learn all I could about Python to be able to write that book. Is that a common approach that you have for learning a language? I was just talking about this with with uh, Al Swagger and a couple other people like that. I'm, I'm very much a person who I immerse myself <laughs> yeah. in, uh, in languages and try to find every possible resource. Is that a, an approach that you have or? Yeah, I w- it was useful to see the different ways that people describe the same topic. So there's like a lot of online tutorials, there's a lot of books. And so I just would take, like take a topic and just read how, all the different resources described it in like a slightly different way. And so I was able to put it into my own words um, after I really understood the topic. Yeah. Cool. Not to sound completely self-serving, but Dan introduced me to you and, and mentioned that you were a, a member of the real Python community. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great site that has like tutorials and has a the Slack message board 
How, how have you found the Slack community? Uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, just a lot of Python enthusiasts who are exchanging ideas and writing about their experiences. So it's very useful. Are, are there other areas of the Python language that you, you want to focus on learning? Um, well, I am interested in, in learning about like TensorFlow Python library um, for machine learning on the Raspberry Pi because I just see that all over the place. I'm just interested in getting experience with that, experimenting with AI. Yeah. And you mentioned like matplotlib. Have you done much with like data visualization and things like that? I haven't gone that deep into that yet, but I, I just used it to see a real-time plot of the sensor data. Yeah, totally. But yeah, it's just amazing how easy it is to get that up and running with just a few lines of code. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like that. And some of the video tutorials that we've had recently, um, we've had a bunch that are about the Pandas library and it has its own like implementation of matplotlib like right in it. I didn't know that, that you could just like, you know, dot plot things like, like right out of a, uh, of data frame, which is very slick. Oh, oh yeah. That's like the data analysis platform, right? Yeah. It's like they're the, the big, you know, dealing with matrix type data, you know, or you got rows and columns and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting to, I'm definitely interested in learning more about that. And yeah, I was talking to Scott Shawcroft about there is a something similar for that in CircuitPython, and he gave me the name of it. I'll, I'll include a link for it, but it's uh, their, their sort of like a uh, tool that's like that <laughs> for gathering and collecting you know, data. So, yeah. How do you see yourself using Python in the future? You mentioned the Raspberry Pi and potentially getting into more and more. TensorFlow and, and machine learning, are there other ways that you see or that you want to use Python in the future? Um, well, because I'm really hardware focused, I, I really, I'm really just looking at the, the hardware side of it and how I can use it to um, make testing easier and automated. And then even though I don't have like a specific like application or product in mind to use AI, I think it's useful to know and to understand it better. So yeah. Yeah, I like at the end of both of the books, they do. I talk. I briefly talk about applications of Python, like, and I mentioned Raspberry Pi and micro bit boards. And so, yeah, there's like so many popular embedded electronics kits and development boards now for beginners programmed in Python, like SparkFun and Adafruit. And so, like, my objective is like create these fun programming books to help kids and beginners learn the basics. So when they get started on programming hardware like the Raspberry Pi, the code constructs will be familiar and easy to understand. Yeah. Yeah, like I actually first got into programming microcontrollers in high school, um, starting with a company, I don't know if you've heard of a company called Parallax. No, I'm not familiar with that one. So they they create something called the Basic Stamp Board, or that was like their one of their first products. And I've heard, I've heard that name. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. So it was like programmed in PBasic, um, which is also an, an interpreted language like Python, but they had these little wheeled robots you program. And it was like this after school thing I did. And um, I checked the website again, and they still have these same boards and robots programmed in PBasic, but they're also offering a lot of products that are programmed in other languages, including Python. And it seems to be actually an emphasis on Python. So yeah, there's, it's just amazing how it just exploded with so many options for these kits of embedded system development boards. Yeah, I'm excited by like yeah. what they're doing with like Lego is sort of expanding what they can do with, I guess it's, they call them the Mindstorms or whatever. Oh yeah, I uh, did that too, yeah. Yeah, so I have a couple weekly kind of recurring questions. And the first one is, what's something that you're excited about 
you know, generally in the world of Python. I think it goes back to how I, I'm interested in the AI side of it. So yeah, actually, I, I read that like the CEO of Raspberry Pi said they, they actually see themselves as a PC company, even though like their board is still a capable hobbyist board, as they say. And so I think they're also emphasizing more of like the AI machine learning side of it. So yeah, I'm interested in getting more experience in that. It's really interesting how like the Raspberry Pi went from like being something like the, the single board computer equivalent of Arduino yeah. to being something that has a graphics processor that can now drive a four a 4K displays. So <laughs> yeah. 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 It's amazing with like two two 4K outputs for the Raspberry 4. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, so this is a computer, right? I mean, so yeah, they say that their purpose is their main purpose is for creating a low-cost PC. Even though you it still has the GPIO connections, but definitely not in the form factor that's intended for like a small embedded um device that you're creating a prototype of or testing. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. That sounds fun. So what's something that you want to learn next? It doesn't necessarily have to be Python. Well, I, I want to get into Bluetooth, well, I, IoT products, uh, working with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi for IoT products. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of the, the area you want to focus on is getting much more into the internet of things and figuring out how to kind of combine them <laughs> together. Yeah, and, yeah, in terms of learning something new and working on a different type of topic. So yeah, I'm used to bare metal programming of microcontrollers. And so yeah, although I, I have a ton of ideas that don't involve the need for Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, but I do have some ideas that it would be helpful for. And so I want to gain more experience in that. And Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any uh, final shout outs or, or plugs that you want to share? Really, my main, my main plug is learn that the... Uh, latest book that I have on Kickstarter. So because I'm, I'm raising funds to be able to continue working with the artist on the illustrations for the books, so I'm really excited to work with the art, continue working with the artist because I have some really like fun, whimsical like, ideas for these illustrations. And I've, like, I've already written all the code, although some tweaks are still possible. And so right now, that's what I'm focused on. And so yeah, once again, it's called Learn Python Through Nursery Rhymes and Fairy Tales on Kickstarter. You can like look it up on Kickstarter or you can go to my website, which is sundayelectronics.com. Sunday as an ice cream Sunday, which is S-U-N-D-A-E electronics.com. Cool. That's awesome. Thank you. And is that the main way that you would like to share like your social connections is have people go to your, your website? Well, that's kind of the easiest way probably to get to um, it's at the top of the site where it says it, it has the Kickstarter link. If you're on Twitter, you can also go to my company Twitter page, which is at Sunday electronic, which is S U N D A E L E C T R O N I C Sunday electronic. Okay. All right. Well, Sherry, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been really fun talking to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me again. Yeah. It was really great talking to you. And don't forget, this episode was sponsored by Datastack's AstraDB, built on Apache Cassandra, made easy in the cloud. Learn more at astra.dev slash Python. I want to thank Sherry Eskinas for coming on the show. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes 
with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.